emphasize the time in your word today. We thank you for it. We thank you for how you've given it to us to guide our lives, to guide our church. We thank you for the unsearchable riches that we will never exhaust. And as we will attempt right now to pour our minds and our hearts into this, would you allow us, Father, to glorify you with our study. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask a question right off the bat for you. Maybe some of you will have a good answer for this question. Maybe some of you will not have an answer. There are going to be different answers that will come up. The question is this. What do you think would motivate a nonviolent animal to attack something or someone? Another animal or a person? What do you think would motivate an animal that's fairly calm, not violent, not necessarily strong, to attack? Now, right away, I know some things came to your mind. I want to relayed to you something that happened to me recently. Uh, just a very few of you are aware of the fact that I was attacked by an animal in the past couple years. Um, only a few, and so I'll let the rest of you in on this, and hopefully it will help us answer that question, and also will help us as we look at our passage in Acts chapter 20 today. Last year, during the warm months, I was on a bike ride and went through the bike trail and was enjoying my time when I was out, and I came across a park where there were some animals there, they weren't uh, pets, and as I came up and I was going on the bike trail, I saw a little line of goslings that were walking right toward the bike trail, and I saw a mama goose right behind them. And as I was going, I figured out that I was going fast enough and I was far enough ahead of them to where I could just speed up and go to the other side of the way and get right past. And so that's what I did. I sped up. And I went as fast as I could, and those little goslings kept walking right towards the trail. And as I got really close to that, I watched as the wingspan appeared from Mama Goose, Mother Goose, if you will. And she came up off the ground, and this goose came and attacked me from behind. I was doing nothing wrong. <laughs> and this goose came and attacked me from behind. And uh, it, was, it, was, it happened so fast, I can't tell you what happened, but I imagine that the strongest weapon the goose might have would be the, probably the, the beak. Do you think so? The beak probably? And the goose came up and was on my back as I'm riding this bike. I did not wreck and fall down, I'm glad to say. I don't know what would have happened. Having said that, in hindsight, I think, I'm not positive, but I think I, I can take a goose. I think I could. I think if I was put to the test, I probably could probably win in a competition between the goose. And yet, with me being much bigger than the goose, being on a bicycle, which was maybe a little bit intimidating, none of that stopped Mama Goose from attacking me. I would suggest to you, and maybe some of you thought this already, something that will cause an animal that's not normally ferocious to attack or to defend, if you will, is when there are some of their young that are vulnerable, and they will step up in order to help those, to protect their young. We've been looking at this talk. We looked last week at these famous words. The Apostle Paul said, this is the last time I'm going to see you. He speaks to these elders, the church leaders, and last week we saw how he encouraged them to serve with humility. They must do that. He mentions two or three times in this passage the word tears. The leaders are going to serve with tears. 
And we were challenged as a church family last week that you can pray for those that serve here as our spiritual leaders in the church. You can pray for them and you can also be working to build up future leaders. We don't want the church just here for 15 or 20 years. We want it here until Jesus Christ comes back. And there's a job that we have to do and this takes building up future leaders. Let me go ahead and finish this talk um, we said last week that, um, that the elders had a specific responsibility. This week, I've got two different uh, takeaways for you, two different points, and they are this. Church leaders are going to give account to their God for how they protected the flock with their teaching and with their selfless example. Two things that are focused on in these verses, their teaching and their selfless example. All right, all that to bring us to our text here in Acts chapter 20. Hopefully you're there. We're going to start reading in verse number 25. Acts 20, starting in verse 25, we're right in the middle of this speech where the Apostle Paul says to them, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men twisted, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All right, so we see this first section um, talks about the church leaders and it talks about how they are going to give account to God and specifically, he talks about this emphasis of teaching. There is a Bible knowledge that is a requirement for some, for some teachers. And the reason he gives here is so they can recognize a false teacher. You're not going to be able to recognize that false teacher if you do not know what the truth is for yourself. So we're going to just really quickly and really maybe even controversially for you and for me a little bit too, we're going to go over a little bit of this. What are some things that are essential for the leaders to know? Not everybody in the church is going to have a good handle on all of these things, although everyone in the church has the command to study the Word of God so that you can give an answer for how you lived your life, that you're approved unto God. So everyone has this responsibility, but here we see, and I think it's fair to say, that the leaders of the church are going to stand before God with how they protected the flock. What's essential? An essential teaching or essential doctrine. And what are some of those teachings that are out there that maybe aren't so essential? Okay? Um, we're not going to have any Q&A time this morning. All right? Nobody raise your hand. Okay? I'm going to go over some things that maybe you feel stronger about than somebody else. It's always a win for me if I can drive you to study the Word of God. I love that. Have you found in your own life that nothing challenges you to dig in deeper to the Scriptures than when you find somebody else who maybe challenged you on what you believe? They say something different or that you're pretty sure is not right. That forces you to jump in. I pray, I've already prayed today, that I won't say anything that is wrong. Having said that, we're going to talk about some things that might be um, tricky. What is essential 
and what, is, what are some areas that Christians might disagree. Quickly, we'll go through these. Um, some of the core doctrines that are the foundation of the church, these ones that are essential, we cannot fudge on it all, the inspiration and authority of the Bible. And I think that if you look at history, I think one of our ABF groups is teaching through his, the history of the church right now. Is that right? Yeah. If you look at history and when the devil comes to attack, he understands what a huge blow it can cause if he can knock out one of these essential doctrines, the doctrine of the inspiration and authority of the Bible. There is nothing in our church that is going to supersede the scriptures as far as what we do and what we are teaching and learning. Another one of these core doctrines, the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And many people say, I believe in the Trinity, but to acknowledge the involvement of all three of those is different for different people. The person and work of Jesus Christ, his deity and his humanity and his atonement. The gospel, these all go together. The gospel, we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. These are things that we cannot say, yeah, it's okay if you believe a little bit different. We cannot fudge on these. I probably haven't made, uh, I haven't ruffled too many feathers so far. Let's talk about some of those peripheral issues, okay? Let me start out by saying this. We had a combined prayer service this past Thursday at the courthouse. I am confident that there were many different people that disagreed on many of these and this is my word, peripheral issues. And yet they were able to join together and pray in the name of Jesus Christ because they agreed on salvation and agreed on the scriptures. So what are some of these that are, and this is my verbiage again, that are not essential for salvation? And that is a huge indicator for us of how important it is. Well, here's one that comes up every once in a while in talks around here. I've actually received phone calls asking what your guys stand on this in the area of election or Calvinism, if you're familiar with that word, Arminianism. How do we take this um, sometimes very difficult issue of God's children are chosen before the foundation of the world, which is repeated throughout scriptures, and how do we make that fit with whosoever will may come? Which one's true and which one's not true? I suggest to you, and by the way, jump in and study it. Don't frazzle your brain, though, okay? Because I don't think you're going to get a perfectly clear answer on this. I have seen, I was just in my hometown in Illinois last year, and I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt that, that stated his side. I'm not going to tell you which side it was, but it was a little bit of a fun T-shirt that said what he believed. And let me just tell you, while maybe that was fun for him, it might have been very offensive to somebody else who was not in that same place. Not essential. We're going to have a baptism service in a few weeks in June. The view of baptism. Some people feel very, very strongly. Some people don't feel so strongly. Immersion versus being sprinkled. I imagine if I had us um, as a group raise our hands, how many of you were sprinkled as a child? How many of you were immersed um, after your salvation? We'd probably have a variety of responses. I want to tell you this, it is not a heresy to have something different. Now here at Calvary, we practice baptism by immersion after salvation. I think that's the example that we see in the scriptures. But many people, when they have babies that are sprinkled, they are doing that in something of a similar form to what we did today with a baby dedication. None of those babies that were up here today, those beautiful children, none of them are going to go to heaven because of what we just did. 
Not one. It's more so for the parents, right? I just heard a story this week about um, uh, um, um, some parents and their daughter was going to go to a very dangerous mission field and the pastor said, how was that for you when you heard that? And they said, it's very, very hard, but when we, when, the baby, when, when our daughter was a baby, we dedicated her to the Lord and that makes it very much easier. There's a lot of trust that goes on with that. When it comes to baptism, um, it's not a problem. It doesn't get into a major view until it attacks one of these other doctrines. So if a baby gets sprinkled or an adult gets sprinkled and, that, and we're told that baby is saved because of that, that's when it starts to invade one of the essential doctrines. And people have different views on um, the others and we can disagree on that as long as we're not jumping into the doctrine of salvation. Here's another one, Bible prophecy. You know what the most, com- the most popular conference that are around is? A prophecy conference. People love a prophecy conference. I get a mailer in the, year, in the mail every year from a church in the area here that has a prophecy conference, and they always have pictures of, you know, four horses on the front of it. You know, it's just, it's just incredible. People are drawn to that. In fact, when I was in seventh grade, I went to a Christian school, and they asked us, they said, what would you like to study in Bible class? And you know what we said? Revelation, man, that's cool, yeah. We thought that would be great to study that. In the area of prophecy, some people are premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. I think it's important that you study this out for yourself. I also think it's important that you don't go to the point of saying someone else is a heretic because they disagree in that issue. One more, gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. People can go to extremes with this. The ones that jump out to us are speaking in tongues and miracles. People can go to extremes with this. One extreme is they would say, if you disagree with me, then clearly, they would say this in the area of tongues. They would say, that is not a language of God. It's something supernatural, so it must be coming from the devil. I'll tell you what. If you want to make an enemy really quick, take somebody who disagrees with you in this area of tongues and tell them that, that those words coming out of them is straight from the devil. I know believers that have said that. That's one side of the extreme. Here's the other side. I was listening some, to some teaching not too long ago on prayer. The man was talking about spiritual gifts. And what we should do as believers is we should be looking with a discerning ear, looking for something that is clearly contrary to the scriptures. As I was listening to this teacher teach, he said something that I had never heard before. Now, I've not heard and seen everything, all right? I've been studying the book for a little while, but there is a different standard. I had never heard it before, so my ears perked up, my antennas, if you will, went up right away. Here was the words that he said, and as I listened a little longer and investigated a little bit, here's where he was going. He's talking about how we demonstrate our spiritual gifts in this world, and this attacks one of those core doctrines, where he said this, this is an extreme, God, listen to this, God cannot do anything on earth without the permission of man. How many of you have ever heard that before? Raise your hand. Has anybody heard that before? I I see one hand, is it? All right. This was, okay, a couple hands. This was a teaching that was going on, and he was influencing a lot of people. An incredibly effective teacher, and yet he said that. That is very much so attacking these other things. And it's in this area of gifts of the Spirit. Um, What I planned on saying was it's wrong to call a person a heretic if they disagree on some of these issues. But let me go ahead and bring it home for us, okay? Because usually you don't go around saying, you're a heretic. That guy's a heretic. We don't do that today. Let me tell you what does happen today. 
I've experienced it. I've seen it, and maybe you've seen it. I know some of you have been on the receiving end of it. When someone disagrees with you on an issue that might not be one of these cardinal doctrines, they don't say they're a heretic. What they do say, and I've heard it, like, I've heard it multiple times, is, well, they're probably not really saved. That's what they say. I've had some of you come to me and say, that's what someone told you, maybe a spiritual leader. Well, you're probably just not saved. Hopefully you'll get to the point someday where you'll understand these things and the importance of this. I know this is controversial, and the reason that I list those things is because this is why you as a church family need to pray for our family to be growing in the word, but also those who would stand guard over your souls. The teaching is of vital importance, and we need to have an overall plan here at Calvary. If you're only coming in for 35 minutes a week, and that's all the intake you're getting as far as God's word, you are going to be anemic as a follower of God. You are not prepared. And we want to have multiple areas where we can be encouraging our people. All right, that's enough of that. In verse 27 of chapter 20, Paul writes, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And last week we talked about Paul maybe exaggerating a little bit. Did he exaggerate? Here's what Paul says in verse 26. I get his tone. Try to get his tone with these words. I am innocent of the blood of all. Oh, Paul, there you go again, just trying to have an effect, exaggerating a little bit. He wasn't exaggerating. He was saying the importance of his position and to these men who would stand in that place of leadership, the importance of their position Hold your place here and go to Ezekiel 33. I didn't mark it in my Bible. I guess I'm a hypocrite. Ezekiel 33. And if you'll hold your place here, this is the picture that the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says, um, when he says you need to guard, you need to take seriously this job. The first six verses of Ezekiel 33 say, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be in his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken, that a person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. That's the picture here that we have there's a watchman who is watching out and he's supposed to sound the alarm for when the false teaching would come in and we're going to see here the false teaching would come in from without the walls and also would come from within and how dangerous is that and so the picture here is a guy with a horn of some sort it might have been that big you know ricola <laughs> they would have needed to hear it from a long ways away and if they hear the warning and they stay in bed it's on them. But look how important this job is. God will require at his hand all those who suffered. The picture that Paul gives in mind when he says that he is innocent of all the blood is that he was faithful. Let me give a couple illustrations and then we'll close here today. 
Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he talks about um, a conversation that he had had with another shepherd where he said that there were a couple dogs that broke in one night and the dogs killed 292 sheep. 292 sheep killed by two dogs. Keller, a shepherd himself, he says that one night a cougar broke into um, his sheep pen and they killed nine of his sheep. And at that point, as a shepherd, he began sleeping with a gun right next to him, ready to jump at any sound to go and protect his sheep. How important was it for the Apostle Paul? He said the blood would be required at his hands. Does Jesus tell us how important the blood of these people are, that the right message is given? Look in verse 28 of Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We observed communion this morning and took the cup, and it represents the blood of Christ. This is how important this is to Jesus. And then quickly, the second one here. Church leaders will give account for how they protected the flock with their teaching, and church leaders will give account for how they protected the flock with their selfless example. And the idea here is, is that leaders are not in ministry because of what they can get out of it. This instruction goes out to these elders, so that's the audience as Paul speaks to them. Look with me in verse 32, verse 32 of Acts 20. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by, the working, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. The idea here that Paul gives to these leaders is they are going to have to give and give and give. That's going to be part of their job description. And this is hard because by our fallen nature, every one of us is a taker. All of you. It's only by the grace of God and what he teaches us about himself that we become givers and they're going to have to be givers. And it was very common in this day that individuals would see the church or a religious organization and say, there's an opportunity to profit. Here's a chance to maybe get rich, to take advantage. And covetousness will be the downfall of many church leaders who are not able to keep this admonishment straight. It is common in where, where we live, in America in 2017, it's common to have a man that is devoted full-time to teaching of the Word of God and to prayer and to the overseeing of the local church. That's common. We are blessed, I think, to live in a place and a time like that. There are many countries who cannot afford this. It's a blessing. It's an encouragement. Some churches, God has blessed, and they're able to be more generous than others. 
but there's no doubt that the challenge here is for the elders to be givers. This is for them to do. It's more blessed to give than to receive. All right, what can you do? Because this is to the elders. So there are just a few, the deacons and the pastor work here, guarding over the spiritual care of the church. So are you all off the hook for what you have to do? No, you're not, okay? You're not. If you're taking notes, what can you do? Number one, be a constant learner of God's word. And I cited here Hebrews 5.12, which the author of Hebrews writes it and says, you guys should be at a point where you're past the milk of the word. And if you want to be an encouragement to the leaders here, don't make them teach the same thing to you over and over and over again. Jump in. Get into God's word. Be taking these things in. That will be a wonderful encouragement. And then finally, number two, and I took this verbiage right out of um, chapter 20 of Acts. If you want to help your leaders see the inheritance of God's grace as they minister, that would be wonderful. How can you help those that serve in this way, in this place? What will that look like? Well, the New Testament says that the leaders are there to help the church body, the church family, do the work of the ministry. Around here, we say that involves worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. Are you doing something to help the church leaders here who will stand before God someday and answer for how they served if you want to bless them and encourage them, the inheritance of God's grace? Be part of teaching or receiving teaching and growing. Be part of worship, whether it be singing or playing. Boy, they do so many things around here for worship, don't they? Be part of expression, giving towards missions, telling someone about Jesus. Be part of fellowship, weeping with someone being invested in the life of someone else here. If you do that, that is success. That is, as I put it here, a beautiful picture of the inheritance of God's grace. All right, I need to give one final warning and then we'll be done. I started by telling you how I um, was viciously attacked by Mother Goose. I told you that. And I'm just letting you know because you all, many, many of you, some are visitors, I get that. Many of you come to the church on a regular basis. This past week, I was driving through the parking lot. In the back of the parking lot, I saw a goose. All right. I went and I drove up there early in the morning and the goose, I I drove toward the back and it, it honked and honked and flew around and everything. And as I was here for about an hour, I looked after an hour and the goose was standing right in the back of the parking lot, which is where I parked my car, by the way. Right in the back. I don't think it's the exact same goose. I don't, I don't think that. All right. Having said that, that goose stood there Somebody else here in the church saw it. Did you see that goose standing there? It's been there for an hour watching. And so when I left, after about an hour, I drove out there, and that goose took off and flew away. You know what I was in, right? I was in my car. I was protected. I flew my car right out there, my Jeep, and that goose went and flew and flew over just a little ways over to there's some water down there. I got out of my car. Can any of you guess what my demeanor's not the right word. Somebody help me out here. What my body language was when I got out of my car. Oh, yeah. I, was, I saw where that goose went. I heard the noise that goose made. And I said, well, let's see if there's a nest around here. Let's see if there's some babies around here. And if this is a mama goose, that's got good reason. And so I got out of my car, and I looked this way, and I looked this way. As that goose, um, this is a true story. As that goose honked and honked and honked, I got out of my car. I saw two other geese come out over the horizon and come flying this way. And I watched them as they went all the way over the church this direction. They went t- totally west. 
And I was watching the entire time as I walked around. Why? Because I knew the mama goose is not going to let anything happen to those babies if she can help it. You can do a lot by studying God's word. You can do a lot by building yourself up and being mature. But God has not made you to be on your own. Listen to me. God's plan for today is for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be in a church and practicing these things that we've talked about. And his plan is to have leadership that is there to help guard you. And they're going to stand before God someday. I'm included in this group. Stand before God and give answer. Will you pray? Will you help? Will you do what you can to be part of this incredible, wonderful church family as we move forward for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, it is really, really wonderful to be able to know you by name. One of those names is Fortress that we can run to. As individuals that are here, we'll need to hold on to that. I thank you for the wonderful blessing that nothing can take us out of your hand. I thank you for the strength that you give. I thank you for the wonderful encouragement that comes as we do study your word. And I would pray even right now during this time, I would thank you for those in the past that have served as pastors and deacons here at the church. I would thank you for those who are presently serving the seriousness of this position. And I thank you for those who we are developing right now and those that will serve in the future as they have a major job ahead of them. God, would you encourage them and would you let this church family encourage them as well? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Anna to play through just a quiet stanza. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. Maybe you need to pray about something we talked about today. Maybe you want to pray for some of those families and what they're about to face. Maybe you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior. You can do it at any time. If God's drawing you to himself, you will not be able to resist it. Call out to him today. Take him in as your Redeemer, your Savior, and your Lord.